Hello and welcome to the March edition of the Waterlog Podcast. My name is Dan Janolfi. And I'm Howard Marlowe. Last week, we visited one of our clients in Georgia, uh, Tybee Island, and recorded a podcast with the city manager to talk about the Water Resources Development Act, earmarks, beach nourishment, and coastal resilience. We'd like to share that podcast with you. We'd also like to talk briefly about the mounting concerns regarding offshore wind projects in New Jersey. Let's get started. So we have a longer podcast today, but it's a bargain because you get two for the price of one. Uh, The first issue we wanted to raise was offshore wind and some of the headlines that you may have seen over the past few weeks. And then we'll get into our podcast that we recorded down in Georgia. So this winter, at least four survey vessels have been actively performing acoustic surveys of the seafloor using equipment that operates underwater within the same frequency range as whales communicate and navigate and at volumes loud enough to cause hearing and lung damage. These activities are known uh, to cause disturbances in feeding, breeding, migration, and a variety of other things. Now, after almost every survey event, more dead whales are found, and we know this because we are tracking the survey vessel's locations. But according to NOAA, this activity could not have contributed to the recent whale deaths. However, tens of thousands of residents and elected officials in New Jersey disagree. On January 30th, 12 mayors signed a letter to their congressional delegation following the the death of nine whales on New Jersey beaches. The letter called for a moratorium on offshore wind activity until federal and state officials confidently determined that offshore wind seafloor surveys are not a contributing factor in the recent whale deaths. Our firm helped prepare that letter in response to the concerns from mayors and residents who wanted to simply voice their concerns. We have no no financial interest, no client, we're not being paid for that. And the movement was strictly grassroots from the start. Now, after that first letter went out, over the next few weeks, we received calls from nearly two dozen other mayors who wished to join in on that letter, following three additional whale deaths on their beaches. On February 21st, a similar letter with 30 signatures from mayors was sent to the New Jersey congressional delegation, uh, as well as President Biden and Governor Murphy. Today, the total count of dead whales washed ashore since December 5th, 2022, Uh, solely in New Jersey and New York, is 11, with several more floating at sea that never actually washed up. In addition, five dolphins have washed up in the past two weeks. So why is this happening? Well, nobody knows for sure, but federal officials and Governor Murphy of New Jersey have been quick to throw cold water on any inkling that the recent whale deaths have something to do with the ongoing acoustic survey activity taking place in the exact same area and the exact same time that whales are washing up. That's a striking coincidence. You have two federal agencies, BOEM and NOAA, which is the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management and the uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, who have said that the survey work could harm marine life and offshore wind farm uh, harassment permits have been issued for the taking of marine mammals, which is typically illegal under federal law. Yet when marine life has actually been harmed, they suggest no connection. News organizations have even used the words misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy theories to describe the mayors, county commissioners, and interest groups across New Jersey who have never seen this level of whale mortality on their shorelines ever. I think that's an attempt to politically charge the issue, and while it may be a political issue for news organizations, the residents at home in New Jersey, for the residents at home in New Jersey, it's strictly about the environment and protecting marine mammals. You know, Dan... My feeling about this is, I'm frankly, I'm shocked because 
anytime that there's a project going on that we've been involved with, let's say, that is affecting the coast, NEPA and the agencies that are involved with the National Environmental Protection Act, both state and federal, do their job, get involved, and do a very thorough investigation of what the potential damage is to uh, marine life, to uh, fish, to birds, to everything else. So here, the federal agencies, and in the case of New Jersey at least, the state agencies, done nothing. No, it's fine. No problem. We haven't gone out there, but we see no connection. I remember the Navy years ago used to, I believe it was bomb, do bombing runs off an island near Puerto Rico. I think it's Vieques. And for years they said, no problem. It's not killing anything. Any of the animals, not all of this seismic work that's going, that we're creating, no problem. And then enough local hue and cry, eventually from both citizens and from environmental groups, said, stop. And they eventually stopped. Here the issue is not stop. Nobody's saying stop totally. Somebody's saying stop and take a look at a scientific investigation by a federal and or state agency and find out if there might be a connection. If there is a connection, what can you do to ameliorate the damage that might be being caused? I'm just nonplussed is the word that one can use on a family show. Well, I, th I think part of the issue is that, you know, no no mayor or elected official has said this is killing whales, but could it be a contributing factor? You know, I think certainly if it's if this type of survey work is known to disrupt behaviors from feeding, breeding, migration, communication, navigation, all these things, could it be forcing whales into shipping lanes where they are getting vessel, you know, hit by vessels? These are vessel strikes. That's what NOAA and Marine Mammal Stranding Center in New Jersey are saying is, you know, the leading cause is vessel strikes. Well, why all of a sudden, you know? Yeah, why now? Why? You know, these vessels, these larger vessels that have been traveling, you know, post-Panamax ships uh, up and down the East Coast, these uh, more frequent uh, vessels because of uh, vessel traffic, because of the things learned uh, post-COVID with uh, all of the problems that came with supply chain, all of that's been going on. And then suddenly here, we hit January, February, and we have dead mammals. I, I don't understand it. So I think it's... I think it's worthy of investigation. Yeah, I agree. So just some food for thought. I can assure all of our listeners, there is going to be a fight to the end by local interest, and it'll be one to watch. And offshore wind is not something that's going to stick just to the East Coast. This is going to come to the Gulf. It's going to come to the West Coast. So... Keep an eye on New Jersey and see what happens. The next thing I want to mention is that just today, uh, as we were beginning to uh, prepare for today's podcast, uh, the Corps released its FY23 work plan. So Howard's going to talk about some details on that. For Coastal America, the Corps' work plan, which lists all of the things which it is going to be spending FY23 money on, adds study funding for Key Biscayne in Florida that uh, adds to the Miami Back Bay study. 
that study incidentally has met a lot of resistance uh, from local residents and government officials. For construction money, the work plan provides a total of 850000 for the Delaware Coastal Protection Program. Incidentally, Delaware, which got no money in the president's budget, got a lot of money added in the congressional budget uh, and by the Corps in its work plan. Not bad for Delaware with its connection to the White House. For construction money, there's also $20 million for two beach nourishment projects in New Jersey, and then Orchard Beach in New York, which is an area that those of us who come from Westchester County used to use Orchard Beach down in the Bronx, New York, and then Virginia Beach and its giant uh, program there. They get a combined uh, total of about $16 million added. The projects we just mentioned are in addition to the funding that was earmarked by the president and also by Congress. So the total regular FY23 appropriations for coastal projects is $189.5 million, a solid figure that's still less than the number 30 years ago that Congress was providing. But wait, there's more. In this case, the Corps has about $116 million for coastal projects under the bipartisan infrastructure law that it has already actually previously allocated. Not to mention more funds under two disaster relief bills under which communities like those in Myrtle Beach region, which is our client, they were hit hard by Hurricane Ian. They're getting $56 million. And, and others in Florida are getting far more than that. So there's a lot of money going into the coast. So I, I think a lot of, you know, the disaster money, we, I don't, we don't count in our regular appropriations for good reasons. They are post-disaster. They are repairing damage. Uh, the $189 million plus the infrastructure of $116 million, uh, not bad, really, when you look at it. We are not growing the program into new areas very much. I think it's a cause for concern, but we'll talk about that on another podcast. Yeah, and for those listeners who have stuck with us for a while, you know that we also do, uh, we have a chart that tracks all coastal funding related to the core. We'll get that updated and put that on our website, uh, as well as a breakdown, uh, a little more detailed breakdown of the funding that's uh, uh, released in the FY23 work plan. And so now I'd like to jump into our conversation with Sean Gillen, the city manager of Tybee Island, Georgia. Let's jump in. Welcome to the City of Tybee Island podcast. I'm your host and Tybee Island city manager, Sean Gillen. On the podcast, we'll bring you the latest updates and information about our beautiful coastal community. Uh, welcome. This is Coastal Conversations, the Tybee Island podcast. I'm Sean Gillen, the city manager here on Tybee Island. Today, I have with us Warwick Consultants, Howard Marlowe and Dan Janolfi. Uh, they are the lobbyists that the city works with in Washington, D.C. for coastal uh, uh, needs like beach renourishment money and uh, all the different uh, legislations that come across that affect uh, cities on the coast. So. Uh, I'll turn it over to each of you to tell a little bit about your background and what Warwick Consultants is, how long you've been with the city, that sort of thing. So, uh, Howard, why don't we start with you? Thanks very much for having us on. Uh, really appreciate that. Uh, my name is Howard Marlowe, and I have uh, been head of a firm for 
39 years now. Oh, wow. we, we celebrated it if um, just in the last few days, that 39th anniversary. And our firm is one which works on matters related to coastal communities, whatever is important, particularly anything to do with the coast that is coastal resilience, the beaches, but also, as you know, in Tybee, uh, we've been looking at stormwater and helping getting funding, which my colleague is going to talk to you about. So we have been, um, not only was we, our job basically is to work with officials like yourself, city managers, who in turn are related to the city official, elected officials, who we'll be talking with uh, later this evening. And uh, we are able to convey the kinds of things which are possible to accomplish. So let's say Tybee's Beach, as an example. Uh, we convey from you the needs of Tybee's Beach to be, let's say, re-nursed, and convey that to your congressional delegation. Uh, the mayor is very much involved uh, and we are able also to convey to the Corps of Engineers, which is the federal agency uh, involved, what needs to be done and how they need to fit you into their rather cumbersome bureaucracy. My background is, uh, is in nothing to do with this, except it was very much political science related government. I believe in local government and its importance in our democratic and republican structure. And I men mentioned both the little d and the little r because it's a very democratic system but it requires representation, which is republican. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, uh, to me, what we do here and what our firm does in the more than 150 local governments that we have represented over the years is to convey what you need to your federal elected officials, also to your federal bureaucratic officials, right. what is important, and get them to be responsive to you. So th that's my background, and uh, we've uh, helped to secure over uh, a billion point three uh, dollars uh, over the years in just funding alone, and we do policy work as well. I'll turn it over to my colleague. Dan. Uh, my name is Dan Janolfi. I've uh, been working with Howard for, uh, I think, going on six years now. Uh, my background is actually in coastal engineering. Um, very little policy background. Of course, I've learned an enormous amount on the job uh, from someone who's extremely experienced. Um, and I think that's actually what makes our firm so unique. We represent exclusively coastal communities. Um, Howard has an extremely strong policy background. I come from an engineering background. And working with the core of engineers, I think it's a perfect mesh. Um, We've represented, you know, over 150 coastal clients. And, um, you know, the work that we do is really special. Beaches are something that's very important to me. I spent about half my life uh, near the beach in New Jersey. And as you know, Sean, the amount of people who that come to Tybee is extremely important. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand how important beaches are to a coastal economy. And so it's really a privilege to work with these communities and um, the amount of really the livelihood of coastal communities is based a lot on how many people come to the beach, right? Um, and the, the amount of federal tax dollars 
that come from people going to the beach is massive. And although, you know, we work on, you know, we work in millions of dollars, the federal government gets billions of dollars in, in federal tax revenue. And I think that's really important. So, you know, the beach is a huge part of coastal economies. Um, Absolutely. As important as it is to Tybee to see those cars coming over the causeway and people arriving here. And I was listening to folks talking at the uh, local place that we're staying here. And uh, they were talking about what a great time they're having. And uh, one had to leave tomorrow. And he was sad to do that because of fantastic weather. And But it's also a fantastic community. Mm -hmm. It's the atmosphere mm -hmm. that makes this very special. Right. And uh, so that's important to you, protecting you from a federal policy point of view, protecting the people who are residents here, because we've gotten a, always we've got a great tour of the, of the city, but we see not only the beach, we see the people who are living in different parts of the city. They are getting, uh, being subject to hurricanes, to king tides, to sunny day flooding. Those things are problems that every coastal community is having and trying to find ways in which the federal government, which has quite frankly, regardless of administration, had more words than they've had actual help that they provided, although they have provided significant help right. with the beach, but in terms of other things that we've talked about as we went around the city, uh, they really have not provided local governments with the kind of things that they need to have, which is really either money or technical assistance. After that, you know, we're not looking for them to put more unfunded mandates on you. We want them to provide the kind of funding that you need so that you can get, uh, make sure that your citizens are protected and, and that they can continue to enjoy all of the wonder wonders of uh, Tybee. Right. Well, and the beach is, is recreational, but it's also our first line of defense against the Absolutely. hurricane. Absolutely. Right. And that's something, you know, this kid from the Midwest who moved to Atlanta then moved to Tybee and because he fell in love with it that I, that I am. And we, we, we learn a lot about what the beach is there for, and it's a great recreational amenity. But when a storm comes and that storm surge comes, the beach and the berm on the beach and then the dunes all protect the buildings and the, the property from, from that storm surge. So it is, there is a public safety and a, and a storm response and resiliency uh, matter here as well. Absolutely. And that's the reason the federal government is involved in it. Right. They want to invest because it is a good investment, as Dan explained, in terms of tax dollars pouring into the general treasury. Right. I mean, it, it, the return on investment is huge. Right. So therefore, you know, any place you can get a 20 to 1 investment, which is really at a minimum, I think, is what it actually turns out to be as we calculated it, that you, you want to be able to know that if you have something that is important, more than about 50% of the population in terms of living population, not just touristing population, lives within 50 miles of the coast, they are in danger. Mm -hmm. You have to look at it that way. And being able to provide protection for them, being able to provide them the resources to deal with rainwater, stormwater, uh, so that they don't flood, get flooded out. Right. Those kinds of things are <clears throat> extremely important. Great. And it's a great segue into my, my next point of discussion is 
the we call it, we our vernacular between the between our, our team and here and you and you all is is the word of bill because that was that's to us we know that's where our our uh, key piece of legislation that you all worked on for us uh, was attached to but what goes back a little bit in there was a 50-year uh, authorization for the Corps of Engineers to re-nourish the beach. That authorization would end in 2024. And we knew that. And the mayor knew that when she got elected. And we were on the plane to D.C. as soon as she got elected to meet with you. And we toured. We met with our delegation. We met with the Corps of Engineers headquarters uh, in D.C. And we talked about this very thing. And the trick was the formula that they used, which was um, – you know, modified, didn't take in that recreational and economic impact. It really was just on on damage to property. And we had done so much to protect our beach. We had built dunes. We had renourished the beach that they couldn't get us to the number they needed to do an extension and authorization. So we turned to you and our congressional delegation, both Senators Warnock and Ossoff, and then Buddy Carter in the, on, on the House side, to say, listen, this is a classic government catch-22. We've done so much that we can't continue to do what we're doing to protect the island. So we, you guys went to work. So why don't we describe a little bit about what that was? Sure. Well, so the Water Resources Development Act, uh, you know, for our listeners is a biennial piece of legislation that authorizes just about every water resources project in the nation that's federal. And in, uh, it, it really goes back to the River and Harbors Act, which goes as far back as I mean, well, well, that's when your original authorization then, was, but yeah, we're talking 70, yeah. early 1900s. Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, that eventually became the Water Resource Development Act. And, you know, it has it authorizes. It doesn't provide any funding. It authorizes um, various things. So in uh, WERDA, and it happens every two years, so in WERDA 20, uh, there was actually a provision that extended certain projects, and it was very specific with the dates that it used. Uh, and I'm not going to get into, you know, some of that minutiae, but... Uh, Howard actually found the provision and said, well, this this almost provides Tybee with an additional 12 years, but it's off by either a couple months or even even a year or so. So we work with the delegation to to literally change those dates. And and that actually ended up, uh, you know, it was through Buddy Carter's office and both senators um, that we were able to change those dates with, through an amendment. And that ended up giving you uh, an additional 12 years. So the, the project is authorized till 2036, which should allow for uh, an additional two nourishments. So, again, it's just authorizing legislation. We still have to go back and ask for the funding, right. which we will do. Um, but considering that this is something that's supported by all members of your delegation and uh, is such an important project, uh, we think that that's certainly possible. Right. We're just a point of reference. The, the, uh, the renourishment happens about every seven to ten years. <laughs> We're coming up on that. Where our renourishment was in 2019, 2020 timeframe, so we're getting there about 2027, which is four years away, is probably as far as we're going to stretch it. People will see that beach to start to erode more quickly, and it become obvious that we need we need to get to that to an, another renourishment, and they're not getting cheaper. But um, the no, uh, not. <laughs> I was I was talking with you guys earlier about uh, I I go back and I watched this old movie that was filmed on Tybee in 1974-75 timeframe. Uh, Gator with with Burt Reynolds and some of the locals here still remember it. Some of them were in it. They were extras. And um, there's a scene at the end where he and Jerry Reed are in this big fight, and they jump a car over a big black pipe on the beach, and that big black pipe is the first beach renourishment that ever happened on Ty- on Tybee Island uh, in 1974-75 time frame. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, the parking lot at that point, what is now Hotel Tybee, you could walk straight out to the beach. There were no dunes. Now those dunes were 20 feet high. Those were our biggest dunes on the island. And the, that comes from the sand, from the renourishment, blowing and building dunes, which protects the island. But uh, that's how long it's been that we've been doing this. And now in 2027, we have to have another one. And then hopefully another seven years after that, eight years time frame before the authorization is up. But it doesn't mean the work stops. Now we right. got now that 2036 date is our big target for what do we do then? We need to get another extension or what's the plan? So, yeah, yeah we have been working and the we is the royal we here. Uh, Mayor, council, you and uh, city staff have been very involved working with the Corps on some alternatives uh, in terms of uh, sand available from the Savannah Harbor ship channel, seeing whether that might be sufficient. We may be able to see some experiment in that within the next year. So I think it'll be, uh, that's one opportunity for us. The Corps is encouraging us to do perhaps another study, and there may be some value to doing another study of the beach. But as you said, uh, under their formula, doing a, uh, we, we didn't make the, the benefit-cost ratio. And because you manage the beach so well, as you said, basically you've done the right things in terms of not building in the wrong place having getting you know a solid dune system added to what nature provided it's been difficult so it's going to be a challenge right um, you get punished for doing something good <laughs> and no good deed so um one of the other things that we're working on is a citywide drainage plan uh that was funded through through uh, some grant dollars that we received and uh, part of that was the deal with the 14th Street parking lot, how to deal with the drainage there, underground storage, how do we pipe things out. And phase two of that project was a much larger pipe because we discovered through the plan that somewhere around 80% of our pipes are undersized underground. They were put in just to move water and rather than actually hold water underground uh, during a rain event or a high tide event or high tide and rain sort of scenario and um you guys worked with our delegation to uh, secure a congressional earmark now that's uh, a term that meant something different 30 or 40 years ago but that now is uh it, it is it's somewhat it is just a direct allocation of dollars from the congress to a specific project right correct so explain what what went on there well in in i'll do one part of it i'm going to shift off to dan in, a congressional earmark uh is something where let's say it's, it's only available to cities and to nonprofit charitable organizations. So, city of Tybee Island comes and says we have this stormwater need, and has to lay out information, which then will describe the kinds of process. But the reason Congress did this is that they realized that particularly smaller cities, and quite frankly, we've represented primarily smaller cities all of our years of existence do not uh, compete well in the federal grant process. Grant making, you can write grants and uh, compete for federal funding. And this is a supplement to that. And it really goes through many of the same processes, except for the fact that in this case, your congressional delegation are the advocates that say this is important because. And earmarked funding amounts to about 1% of all total federal funding. So we're not talking about taking gobs of the federal budget and putting it into this, but it is a very transparent process. Yeah, you know, the word earmark, uh, I think, was a dirty term, um, certainly before my time. Um, but uh, 
the, the process now is so transparent. It has to go to you know, public entities like cities, um, some nonprofits, um, but there are a lot of assurances that, that members have to provide to show that there's no financial interest on their part. Um, and as Howard mentioned, you know, it's, it's difficult for communities that have less resources to compete against you know, New York City and Miami, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and things like that. So it really opens up the door for really good, necessary projects that communities need and allows them to get the funding that they need. And so one of the programs that we found uh, was under the EPA. It's called the State and Tribal Assistance Grants Program, and it really covers everything uh, related to stormwater and stormwater management. Um, and so we th thought that that was a perfect fit uh, for, for the 14th and 15th Street uh, uh, stormwater project. And so uh, I know we went a little bit backwards. We actually got phase two funding first. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, everything works seamlessly, and we were able to secure uh, $2.6 million for that. I think the, the total cost is about $3.25 million, unless that's changed. And it's a 75-25 cost share. So, you know, Tybee's only on the hook for 25%, which is, of course, fantastic because of overpaying 100%. And, you know, all of that really fits into the whole picture of resilience because now, you know, you're not just – you're facing things like king tides, right? right. And in increased precipitation and increased storm surge, hurricanes, all these different things. So it's not just, you know, rainwater, um, but it's really all all types of flooding that, that that's going to be able to handle. Right. And so we're – go ahead. And, and members of Congress put on their websites who's asking for funds. And then the appropriations committees put on their websites who they agreed uh, of members of Congress to allocate funds to. So it's perfectly and totally transparent. So right. it's it's uh, worked out a lot better than earmarks were back in the day when some things happened which uh, were basically were not good from a public policy point of view. This, is, this has got it narrowed down to being very transparent and being very limited to uh, local governments and to some nonprofits. I think House members last year were limited to 15. I think senators, uh, I'm not quite sure how many they got because it seems to it seemed to vary so widely. But uh, it's, you know, they set that 1% threshold limit. And over the past few years, we, it, they haven't even come close to it. So, correct, yeah. Um, less, than, less than 1% has gone to earmarks, yeah. even though members of Congress, you know, some members have not wanted to participate. Uh, your delegation has participated. And uh, those that haven't participated are probably looking with envy at those who have. And they, Congress actually sets aside some blocks of money for those who haven't. But let's say in the case of uh, Corps of Engineers, where you can't really ask for an earmark, we have such an extended process of authorization and appropriation. But those who did not want to ask for an earmark within the Corps of Engineers process, there was even some money set aside for the Corps of Engineers and the administration to allocate to those members, so. Right, so 2.6 million to the city of Tybee for a project that we're gonna begin here very soon on 15th Street, which I think the, the pipe size is somewhere like 18 to 24 inches in most of our piping. This mm -hmm. one's gonna be 50 some inches. 54. Uh, 54 yeah. inch pipe, uh, which will act as underground storage for, for uh, stormwater and uh, flow that stormwater to our, our outlets. And we took a tour of the beach today yeah. and we started on the north end at Polk, and you, you saw the, the back uh, riverside. We can get to that topic as well. But around front where you see our dune system, and then we went around and we showed you the outlet for that. And so there's a, there's a lot of, of interconnectivity to, to the system so that we can't just put a pipe in the ground. We've got to flow it somewhere, and we're tidally influenced, so the water can't go out when, it, when the tide's up. 
So the idea is that the water can go at least into the pipe uh, during a major rain event or, or uh, while, while the tide's in. So, and then we have the Back River study, which was a grant-funded study to deal with how do we deal with the flooding that we had during Irma. And uh, so that, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving pieces here. And you guys played that critical role at the federal level for us. And um, what, uh, what is um, in the future, what do you guys see a lot of with the cities up and down the coast that are the major issues that they're dealing with? Uh, uh, are they similar to Tybee's? Are they, are they, is there other thing? Is Tybee I, I unique so. in any way? Yeah. Really, if you looked at it uh, on all coasts, and I'll include the Great Lakes on this too, Sure. that um, you have erosion going on, uh, you have flooding, two major issues that everybody's dealing with. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with the erosion? How do you get homes uh, elevated, which you've done with right. uh, grant funds? Uh, and how do you get roads elevated, which you've also done? I mean, this is just a well-managed city in terms of trying to deal with the future, which you know went back to our at least my phrase of, you know, no good deed come, goes unpunished because sometimes some federal programs are set up for people who have not, people who build too much, in, uh, too high, too dense, in, 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 in the, too close, basically, to, mm -hmm. to danger. Mm -hmm. uh, and so basically the process works so very well when you look at the other cities and they also have issues of erosion and flooding, and they have issues of what to do with storm water, the need for pumps, the need for bigger pipes. Uh, you know, it, it is the same. Yeah, I think Howard, you know, Howard's put it well. It's just about every single one of our clients, they're all facing issues of erosion. They're all facing issues of storm water. In California, it's a little different because, you know, we're working with, on the East Coast, you've barrier islands, which are just far different than uh, the cliffs in California, but even out there, they're asking for stormwater funds. But on the East Coast, particularly, pump stations, uh, stormwater management, mm -hmm. erosion, um, and and raising roads. I mean, these are things that really go into you know what we call coastal resilience. Right. Yeah. And so, as we work with you guys for additional congressional remarks into the future, it's going to focus on stormwater. I I, I w would imagine for us because our needs are so great. You know, we're, 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 we're ahead of a lot of places, but we have a lot of work to do. And a lot of that's the, the, the we call it resiliency. Yeah. We, know, we know the water's going to come in at some point. There's right. always going to be a storm big enough to overtop anything you build. There's always going to be a, a rainstorm heavy enough and long enough it's going to flood your streets. But the idea is that we can get the water out and get ourselves back up and running as soon as possible. That's why the lifting of the homes uh, was, was a key factor so that – the three-pronged approach that we've taken, the, the defend, the, the um, uh, adapt, and retreat. So we, retreat is, an, is kind of a, a mushy word, but it is, it is your setback requirements, you know, where you can build relative to the dune system, exactly. how much green space you need on your lot. All these things are, are part of that retreat factor. The adapt is lifting those homes, hmm. changing how we do uh, stormwater. And then, of course, defend. We know we can defend the front. It's pretty, pretty solid science on the dune systems work. The, the, the re-nourishing the beach ta absorbs that, that shock of a storm surge, which is the da most dangerous part of a hurricane as far as life and limb is concerned. The, uh, but 
then we we also have all these other things that we're working on to try to try to try to make the city resilient. So it's going to happen at some point, a storm big enough to to cause some damage, but we're going to be back up and running as soon as possible. And we're I think ahead of the game when it came to that. I think so too. I think you've done so many things uh, over the years that I've been involved. You've such a, you know such great leadership, and I include in that uh, the elected officials, but also people like you, having a, you know, you're a fantastic city manager. And I say that not only because we're staring each other in the face, Must but, be budget season, I'm sorry. Oh, well, that helps. I'm always happy to, you know, be helpful in that regard. But the, the issue is that, that cities that are well-managed have people who can be able to, number one, hire good people to help in all of the departments, everything from the police to the public works, engineering that we, we, we met today, the engineer. You have a great assistant city manager who we've face-to-face met with for the first time today. Uh, but over the years, it's, it's been A-rated from my point of view, and I can't mm-hmm. say that for every client that we've represented for as long as we have. Okay. Um, but fortunately, I think coastal cities tend to attract good representation in terms of good elected officials and good staff. They need it <laughs> because you're on the front line. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not knocking riverine people who have to deal with serious flooding problems that exist and that are exacerbated by right. uh, sea level rise. And uh, But the fact of the matter is that... Uh, the, the kind of storms that uh, come and the kind of uh, king tides that are there, this is constant danger. You're not, you're not ever in a season where you can just lay back and say, oh, there's not going to be a problem. I'm not going to worry about when the high tide and where the moon is when the next high tide comes and whether we're going to get a rain event. Uh, persistent rain has become a significant problem. What to do with heavy rains and persistent rains. So I think it's... Uh, it's very challenging, and what excites me about it is that we can help. Well, it's great. I know the mayor, when she got elected, uh, our former mayor, Jason Viltrman, yeah. he, he says to her, he said, oh, by the way, that authorization for Beach Renters runs out in 2024. <laughs> you know, here Good you luck. go. <laughs> Here's the baton. Uh, so she took it and ran with it, and I know she has said again and again that was a priority for her four years as mayor was to get that addressed, and we now have got at least – until 2036, we've got a solution there. So we, do, but we don't stop looking at the uh, exactly the none benefic- of us beneficial use. Uh, none of us going to be uh, so. sitting back uh, and, and saying, "Well, look, that, that's uh, right. you know more than 12 years away, so we, we can just sit back." Right. It's the same kind of thing you can't do here in the city. There's no such thing as sitting back. Getting anything done at the federal level in a 12-year period is not exactly an easy thing. No, that's that's three election cycles and that's not a lot so we got a lot of work to do and i'm looking forward to working with both of you and in, in as we get through this process I'll tell you what these are meaty topics uh and i love do, diving into them it's something you really sink your teeth into and so someone who's kind of a policy wonk like myself i love getting into that stuff and it's been great learning from you guys on on coastal issues and uh we really appreciate you coming all the way from washington to be here on tybee island and talk with me. Uh, and then, so I guess that's about it for today. I think uh, we could talk for about three or four hours about <laughs> these, these topics, uh, um, because I know we have. And, uh, but for today, I think that was great. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time to do this. And 
we're going to hear from you at the city council meeting, uh, talk about everything that you've been doing. And I just want to say thank you and uh, hope you get back to Tybee more frequently. We hope so, too. The, uh, it's, it's a lovely place to be, and so it's not exactly hardship duty for us to come down here. Well, we appreciate it. No, thank you. It's always good to get our toes in the sand. Thank you, and uh, thank you all for, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks again for listening and for tuning in today. We'll see you again in April. Bye-bye.